Thank you for that intro, Jar Jar. All of our regular listeners know our Jar Jar Binks intro is courtesy of the wonderful actor Stephen Alaric, uh, who joins us periodically on occasion and who just happened to have been the first starring Simba on Broadway in The Lion King. Um, welcome to November already of 2017. This is Behind the Lens, and I am Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. I've been a critic for over 30 years. I've been doing production longer than that. I've been a journalist going back to 1975. But it is my pleasure to bring you Behind the Lens. We're getting ready to actually kick off our fourth year in January. So, and every week we just get, uh, it just gets better and better with bigger guests, better guests, more interesting guests um, as we celebrate indies and tent poles alike. And right now we are we are in the heart of awards season. So every week I'm trying to bring you some exclusive interviews that I've been pre-recording uh, with potential award contenders. Um, today you're going to hear from Dan Lemon, the visual, super, visual effects supervisor for War for Planet of the Apes. Dan was worked on Dawn of Planet of the Apes, Rise of Planet of the Apes, and now War for Planet of the Apes, has seen technology go from beginning to end. You will also be able to find this interview after you hear it in its entirety today. You're, you'll also be able to find it on BehindTheLensOnline.net along with a number of other interviews, some new ones that you might want to check out, a one-on-one with, with the ground down, the legend herself, Cicely Tyson, Rob Reiner, Talks about his new film, LBJ, which is out right now. Um, Cicely is talking about Last Flag Flying. A very wonderful film this in this week before uh, Veterans Day on the 11th of November. But every Monday, you can find me and all these great guests right here on Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And in between, 24-7, in print and online, in the U.S. and abroad. But let's get started because we are packed. We've got Dan's, uh, the pre-recorded interview with Dan for the first half of the show. And then at the midway point, I am thrilled. The, a wonderful actress who has been with us before, Penelope, Penelope Lagos. She was last with us uh, talking with her director, Joe Pepitone, talking about the Jersey Devil. And Joe, I am still waiting for my sequel. Um, but... A woman of many talents, Penelope has written a children's book called I Miss My Best Friend. And for those of us that have already seen War for Planet of the Apes and we know what happens at the end with our beloved <clears throat> ape Caesar, uh, beautifully played by Andy Serkis, uh, I think that we will all need to, to delve into Penelope's book about missing your best friend, uh, the loss of a pet. But... Until then, sit back, relax, and listen to my exclusive interview with Dan Lemon of Weta Digital. He was in New Zealand. I was here in L.A. talking War for Planet of the Apes. I can't believe what has, what has transpired just over, technologically over the course of the past three films, Dawn, Rise, and War, be, to such a degree that we can see the visual differences in the motion capture, in the animation of the films through the progression. Something that we, you know, we've worked really hard to try to push, uh, you know, the, the envelope. And like at, at the end of every film, you're always, you've got a list of things that you, you know, you learn. You, you discover things and, and sometimes you're able to make changes as you go. And sometimes it's just, you know, too late to, to do all the things you want to do. And, uh, you know, the... The march of technology takes a lot of uh, effort and time as well. So it's been a really great opportunity to be able to you know, return to these characters that we love and uh, you know, just be able to make them better and better. You know, I'm curious, 
Was there any one thing in particular or a sequence of things technologically that has occurred since you did Dawn that allowed you to now with war? I mean, you've doubled the number of new characters. And anybody that knows anything about, you know, motion capture, VFX, digital, you're dealing with fur. Fur has been the bane of existence for, for, for Pixar, for everybody else. And it's only been, I'd say, probably the past seven or eight years where we've really seen a leap with technology that allows for the individual fiber texture, so to speak. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. I mean, that's something that we've been, you know, just actively pushing on since, since King Kong, really. I mean, we, um, when we, um, you know, made King Kong, we completely wrote uh, a new for, you know, system from, from scratch. And it's been, it's been sort of a, a, a continuous, um, you know, um, rewriting of that, that system and that software ever since then. Um, and, you know, every time we, we scrap the code and start over again, we've learned so many things and we're, you know, we're, we're tacking it in, you know, uh, better and better ways but there's there's another thing that happens too and that's that the the artists that are doing the the work have been getting just better and better as well and their you know our observation of of nature and picking out the details that are important to making things look real it's gotten more sophisticated and just the you know the skill and the um of the of the artists as they've gone from project to project i mean there's there's guys here that have been you know, basically doing nothing but grooming it for 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 ten years, and um, and they're they've just gotten really good at it. And at the same time, they've been able to make suggestions to the people writing the software about different ways to approach the problem and you know what they wish they could do. Um, and it's been a you know the other thing that's happened is each film has its own unique challenges. So on War, uh, one of the big challenges was snow. We had to. Um, we had to let snow, you know, fall and land on the fur. We had to let the apes roll through the snow and pick up snow onto their fur. Um, the clumping and the wetness of the fur had to change as the snow would adhere and then melt a little bit and kind of turn into ice. And so these are all things that, um, you know, we hadn't done before. And that's one of the things that's really exciting about the job is being able to take all the tools that you've developed over the years and then add to them as you've got, you know, as you discover new problems that you haven't solved in, in new stories. Well, and all of that goes into play with this particular film, where you've pretty much doubled the number of new characters that are introduced in War, as as opposed to what we saw between Dawn and Rise. And each one of those new characters is so distinctive. Did it reach a point, or does it ever reach a point, where you sit there and you really want to do honor to Mother Nature... But it's like you say, oh, God, we don't have any more ways to make this ape look different from the other one. <laughs> I mean, that's always a challenge with, with this, this franchise is trying to figure out ways to make, you know, each ape sort of distinct and unique so that the audience, you know, who, who are humans, obviously, um, that they're able to pick out the differences and keep track of the characters. You know, and it's just it's a critical, um, you know, film storytelling thing where you have to be able to tell the difference between the characters or else people start to get lost in the story. And, you know, you see it with even with human actors, if you've got two actors that, that look too close to, to one another and you don't spend enough time with them to be able to understand the differences. It can be quite confusing in, in a movie. So that casting is, is really important. Casting is obviously important for you know, for real actors, but it's also important for, you know, for digital characters, making sure that you've got a, a cast that's visually distinct and unique. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that Matt Reeves, the director, was certainly uh, tuned into, and, and we were as well. But there's another thing as well, which is that, you know, one of the things we discovered as we, you know, made the first two films, and, and certainly into the third, was that, um you really, you really can't improve on nature. You know, like mm-hmm. the, the the more we de- deviated from real chimpanzees, the more we tried to humanize the apes, or you know, do um, do different things to uh, to adjust their their design. The more we'd sort of lose our way, and the the, the, the design and character of the of the, the characters would would um, start to suffer a little bit. So we, you know, we tried to to adhere as closely as we can to 
you know, to real chimpanzees um, and you know, orangutans and, and gorillas and, and pick out all those little fine details that are unique and specific to those species and introduce those into our digital characters. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one exception to that, and that is that um, these characters also have to be able to perform in a way that our human under- audience understands their emotional you know, arcs and that they, they get the... the the facial expressions that they're making instantly. Mm-hmm. And so that is the, the area where we would cheat a little bit. You know, we would introduce a little bit of um, the human actors onto the digital apes uh, in areas like the, the eyes, in particular, you know, the folds above the eyes and the eyebrows and around the, uh, the, the, the muzzle area trying to get what are, you know, more human signature wrinkles and folds onto the, the digital apes. Mm-hmm. Well, something that that you never cheat on um, that is a testament to the technology and to the skill of you and your team is the emotional complexity that still comes through in each one of the performances, you know, with each of the each of the characters. And that's through the eyes. You never cheat on the eyes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we spend a lot of time trying to get the, the eyes to look just right. I will say, you know, we do take a little bit of liberty with them in that, um, you know, most apes have very dark uh, scleras, the, you know, the area that we call the white of the eyes mm-hmm. in humans. It actually tends to be more of like a coffee-colored or even black sometimes on, on apes, and that um, that can present problems when we're trying to make facial expressions and we're trying to um, see exactly where the character's looking and that sort of thing. So we have, on, on not all, but many of our characters, we've lightened their scleras up a little bit in order to be able to, you know, tell uh, a little bit more what they're what they're thinking, where they're looking, and you know how squinted down their eyes are and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. How collaborative? Before I get into this, um, I've got to ask you. Talk to me about ray tracing. I know that's relatively new. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like ray tracing is a technology that's been in computer graphics since the '70s, and it's um, but it's something that has been um, inordinately expensive in terms of just processor time, and also in terms of the amount of memory that a machine needs to have in order to to ray trace efficiently. And it's only in the last, I'd say, you know, probably six years or so that computers have gotten fast enough and have been able to, to hold enough memory to be able to ray trace big scenes like, like the ones you see in war mm-hmm. um, efficiently. And, and that, um, the ability to, to go down that ray tracing route actually has made a phenomenal difference in the realism of the characters. We, um, you know, we explored uh, a few different ray tracers. Uh, RenderMan introduced ray tracing. Um, geez, it would have probably been about eight or nine years ago, mm-hmm. and it's something that we, you know, we looked at, but it was not as as robust as we we needed it to be. So, at a certain point, we made a decision to write our own rendering software, and we we road tested it a little bit on um, on Dawn, but really only on distant uh, like shots with lots of characters far away, mm-hmm. and it was it was promising, but we, we it wasn't yet developed to the point where we could use it on hero close up characters. Mm-hmm. And when uh, when we made uh, Jungle Book with the uh, the King Louis sequence with all the um, the apes and, and monkeys, um, that was a, uh, a scene where we were really able to get ape characters, heavily furred characters, into a scene and ray trace it all in a complex environment, and and really prove that the uh, the software and also the hardware was up to the task, and um, that's allowed us to spend a lot more of our time. Um, doing creative work in our lighting and our, you know, shading and, and um, the, the processes that we use to make the pictures rather than, you know, technical work. In the past, we'd had to um, do a lot of um, massaging and, and cheating, frankly, in order to simulate the way that light would um, transport through a, a scene. But now with the ray tracer, we can actually just let the physics do its thing and the results that we get are much more realistic. So I'm curious, you know, you've got 1,450 shots in this film or, or thereabouts. What is the actual process that you, as a VFX supervisor in your team, that you guys go through for creating the apes in terms of the somatographic elements of lighting and framing? Is that a collaborative uh, nature with the cinematographer? Is that something that you work with, you know, Bill Hoy on? 
through the editing process. Take me through that. So it's it's really we really follow the lead of the the cinematographer who, um, you know, when we're shooting the scene on set, he and the director kind of talk through uh, what their you know creative visual goals are for the scene, and you know from shot to shot they'll adjust the lighting, and we take very precise uh, measurements uh, of of what the lighting you know is physically doing mm-hmm. on the set at that moment. And then when we get back into you know the um, you know our world the post production world, we'll um, we'll call up those measurements of the scene lighting, and we'll reconstruct what was on set digitally. That doesn't mean that we don't change you know a few things. One of the you know issues with the characters is that our apes uh, tend to be darker colored than the humans playing them, and so sometimes we need to just increase the you know the light that hits them a little bit more. But it gives us a really great starting point, and we've got a, an excellent visual reference for the intent of the cinematographer and uh, Michael Saracen and, and the director, Matt Reeves, um, in front of us in, in the lighting that's on Andy Serkis or on Terry Notary or any of the other characters playing the apes. And so that's, that tends to be our, um, our guide. And uh, we'll, the same way that we stick very closely to the performance of the actors, we try very hard to stick closely to the, you know, the lighting of the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is the process in hand? You know, how, how does that work more, most effectively between you and Bill Hoy? Is Bill sitting there with Matt and they're editing stuff, but it's like something just is not quite right. And it's like, okay, we need a little more here. We need to tweak something here. Do they send that Usually, to you or is it more often yeah. where you see something and kick it back to them? Usually, um, the way the process works is, is Matt and and Bill or, or Stan, you know, his other editor, depending on what scene they're working on, they'll they'll sit down and they'll cut together a version of the movie um, where uh, you know it's dramatically accurate. Everything is, is is basically as it should appear in the final movie, except that there are no apes. There's there's only the actors, you know, wearing their funny gray suits and. Um, it's you know it's it, I think to somebody who's only seen the finished movies that they see this kind of um, uh, you know the, what we call the template the the assembly of the the actors cut together into a scene it, you know the first couple of shots you're like oh well, that's kind of funny you know I see Andy Serkis wearing his gray suit and I, I have to imagine that he's going to be a monkey but it's it's amazing like within about thirty seconds you get totally sucked into it. And your suspension of disbelief kicks in, and you just accept that Andy Serkis is Caesar. He's playing a character, and um, and dramatically, you can watch the scene, and it, it totally will work. You're able to make decisions, you know, beat for beat, um, what should be happening, when to cut, you know, when the music should come up, and then, um, you know, once they've uh, Matt and the editors have done that, they'll hand that over to us as what we call a turnover, and at the turnover. Um, basically, we've got a, a map to follow. The, we've got the scene all cut together, the shot lengths, the um, you know everything is is edited together as it should be with the performances um, chosen. And and then our job is simply to uh, replace the actors with apes and to match dramatically, beat for beat, you know, frame for frame, mm-hmm. the each emotional beat that the the actors are hitting, you know, in that shot or in that collection of shots, you know, in the sequence. Mm-hmm. And typically, what will happen is, you know, I'll work on those, you know, on on the, the apes um, with my team, with Dan Barrett, the uh, the animation supervisor here, and with uh, you know the the various visual effects supervisors that are doing the lighting and the compositing and putting the you know the rest of the the shot together. And we we'll. You know, we work on it for quite a while in order to get the the acting to of our apes to match the acting of the actors, and to get the lighting of our apes to match the lighting of the scene. And once it's sort of, we, we show it to Matt a few times along the way. To Matt and also the uh, you know the editors will be part of that review process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like for example, we'll we'll show them animation blocking first, which is sort of the a rough version of the animation where the beats are mostly there, but it, it might not have the, well, it typically wouldn't have any facial expressions yet. And then we'll, we'll show them a version that's uh, sort of the, an, the complete animation, which has uh, facial animation, but it's all 
sort of unlit. It's on a sort of video game version of the characters. And then once they've approved that, we'll go into the, the lighting and rendering and compositing part of the, the process, which is, you know, where we make everything look visually completely real, put it back together, and then we'll send it through again to, to review. And often, you know, we'll go a couple rounds at each stage in order to make sure that we've hit all the right beats. Mm -hmm. Is there ever a time where you all collectively finally say, okay, no, that's it, that's it, we're done, even though in your hearts you know, well, we could tweak this a little more, we could do this? Yeah, I think, you know, any time you're making a big movie like this, you there's a certain amount of, you know, uh, pragmatism that has to happen where you you choose your battles and you um, you make sure that the most important things are 100% correct and you know the the least important things you want to you, you don't want them to bump you don't want them to pull people out of the scene but you know it's you don't you also don't want to waste your precious time and energy chasing things that aren't actually that important so mm -hmm. it's a, it's a constant judgment call about what is um, what is, you know, acceptable and, and good enough and what you know, has to be flawless. Mm. You know, I'm curious, with virtual reality techniques popping up everywhere, did, does, has virtual reality come into play at all with the visual effects in apes? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, um, as part of, uh, you know, publicity campaigns and um, as sort of um, the, the stewards of the, the assets of the, you know, mm -hmm. the characters will we'll sometimes get involved in creating virtual reality pieces for, mm -hmm. um, you know, for different shows. Uh, we did one for, for Jungle Book that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and, and we've done the for Pete's Dragon and, and you know, several others. Uh, we, you know, we've looked at a few things uh, for, um, for apes. I don't think anything's actually been released yet. And mm -hmm. I don't know, they... Fox may or may not choose to, uh, to you know, to pursue you know something in that direction. But um, it's definitely an arena that we've been playing in, and it's um, it's something that's you know it's exciting to be able to take characters that uh, you've put so much energy into and in making the movie, and be able to experience them in a, in a different uh, medium. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to ask: Is it more fun for you because with all the new characters that were introduced in War, is it more fun? to have an established character like Caesar and age him up as the storyline progresses through the films or start with brand new, fresh characters to introduce? Do you have a preference? I mean, yeah, they're both great for different reasons. I mean, there's, there's something great about having an established character and just being able to, um, you know, continue to develop and uh, evolve and, 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 you know, change things on them and with them. And it's fascinating to watch what the actors do with their characters as well. You know, you look at the way that Caesar, uh, that Andy played Caesar in, in Rise compared to Don and War compared to, compared to Don, like that, that evolution of, of the actor, uh, you know, in, in off, their authorship of the character is, is, is amazing. So that, that's, that's a really cool thing to be a part of. But, I mean, it also is it's great to make new characters. I mean, many of us got into the business uh, because we, you know, we were so enamored with the, you know, the, the creature and character films of, you know, the, you know, the, t the times when we grew up. And um, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, um, a fantastic thing to get to play God a little bit and, and bring these characters to life. And there's a magic moment where... And you've done all this research and design and development, and you've, you've put all this, this effort into um, creating rigs and puppets and, and animating. And um, at a certain point, you, you get to a point where the animation starts to work and you start to get the lighting together and you, you throw a composite together. And suddenly, a character that was an idea has suddenly come to life. And, and that's, uh, that's an amazing moment. And it, just, it never gets old. Well, and for you, you've been on this digital journey for quite some time, you know, starting with digital. And, yes, and, I'm old. And, and you're not as old as me, so, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you did VFX on Man of Steel, on Avatar, but then really yeah. started getting into the whole mocap thing with, you know, with the VFX, probably around the time of King Kong. And so this has to be really exciting for you to come through yeah. 
you know, this yeah, whole, it the is. whole journey. It, it, it is. And I think one of the things that, that was great was, um, you know, in this franchise, we, um, you know, we, we did something that, that hadn't really been done before. We took uh, a set of tools that, that were great for capturing performances of actors, um, but they were limited to um, it only being used in kind of specialized, dedicated spaces. And, and we took those tools out into onto location, onto the you know the live action you know film set, mm-hmm. and that was um, that was a pretty incredible thing because we you know we were uh, <laughs> it, it was it was you know bleeding edge and and there were there were a lot of things that uh, went wrong along the way, but we were able to get it to work. And having being able to offer that tool to, to filmmakers and to actors to be able to say like we can capture your performance wherever you decide to do it, you know whether it's on a stage or whether it's on location or whether it's you know back in a performance capture volume, but we can we can record what you, what you do and then we can put that into the movie exactly as you've done it, but on something a character that looks nothing like you. I think that's that's pretty amazing, and it's uh, it's been a real honor to be able to be you know part of that that process. Well, I know that you have a hard out. You've got another interview or something to go. But before I let you go, very quickly, want to ask you, Dan, what did you personally take away from the experience of making this film that you can now take forward into your next projects? Oh, geez, that's such a good question. There's so many things. I mean, it's. I think the the process of you know making a a movie like this, you're learning every day, and you're you're trying things out, and you're failing, and you're fixing things, and you're discovering, and you're having epiphanies. And, you know, there's it's it's hard to point to to a single a single thing, but um, you know, I guess I just I just um, and it's it's true of, of really all the films, but um. I, every day I come to work, I'm just um, just amazed at the caliber of the people that I work with. And uh, one thing that you know in this movie really um, kind of hit home was how um, how dependent I am and how dependent the movie is on the um, you know the, the raw talent and dedication of the, the people that work here. And just feel incredibly lucky to be able to. Um, work with a team that comes from literally every corner of the world and has gathered in this, this tiny island country at the, the bottom end of the planet to, um, to make movies like this, and it's, uh, it's a pretty special thing. And a very special thing it is indeed, uh, Dan Lemon. The complete audio of the interview and the written text to go with it will be up on BehindTheLensOnline.net later this week. Uh, for guild members, academy members, Dan's work and that of the Weta VFX team is so award-worthy, worth your consideration. Um, if you want to listen again to Dan talk about the process, you'll be able to do so. You'll be able to read about it. Also, a companion to that will be my complete interview with Bill Hoy, editor on War for Planet of the Apes. But, and we may even have time to get to a little bit of Bill later in today's show. But right now, the wonderful actress-turned-author, Penelope Lagos, is with us. All right. Hi, Hi, Penelope. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good to uh, be back on. Wow. Okay, what phone are you on? Because you keep crackling up. Oh, I'm crackling? You're, You're crackling. Oh, that's not good. Crackling isn't good. Is it better or no? Um, it's still Pam's in this. Uh, Pam's trying to futz with it, and she's shaking her head. No. <laughs> no. Okay, I can call. Can I call back from another line? Yeah, call back from another line. That'll work because I want everybody to really get to hear you talk about. I miss my best friend. Okay, I will call you right. Okay, back. call right back. Okay. Okay. All right, and that is the joy of live anything. So Penelope should be back rejoining us momentarily, calling from a different phone. Uh, so hopefully we will have much better audio quality for all of you. Uh, I myself am very curious to hear what she has to say about this transition from actress to author uh, with this book, which is absolutely charming, be it for children uh, or for adults. 
Because as everybody knows, when you lose a pet, a pet is like your child and is very much part of your family. So it's just as hard, no matter who you are, uh, when you lose a loved best friend, furry best friend. Are we ready, Pam? No, we're not ready. Okay. All right. We're not ready. All right. They're playing. They're playing with the phones. And for those of you who are who are just tuning in, this is Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias. And if you're on Facebook and Nick Federoff, our, our fearless leader and owner of Adrenaline Radio, uh, Nick is, I'm being junior guinea pig again this week for Nick uh, on his Facebook page as he plays with various kinds of equipment. Uh, I think he has it on his page, either Things Green or Nick Federoff on Facebook. He's doing a live Facebook of my show right now. So you can also tune in there. We're also doing our usual two-camera video shoot, which goes into full post-production with a full edit. And that will be up sometime within the next couple of weeks. Rebroadcast of this show happens, you can find us on BehindTheLensOnline.net tonight. We're also on iTunes. And then also... As part of the uh, BTL radio show family now, we you can also hear us later in the week on IndiePopcorn.fm. And there's some great podcasts on Indie Popcorn. So, you know, check them out. Okay, and I see, okay, I, oh, okay, Penelope and Pam are doing something with the phones. I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something. I see joy on Pam's face. So, uh, do, well, this this must mean we have a good, clear connection now. Is this true? Okay, we're nodding. We're nodding. I'm waiting. Okay, we're good. All right. Here we go. I see Pam get a, a great big smile on her face. So, <laughs> oh, that is perfect. Now you sound wonderful. Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> now you sound wonderful, Penelope. Welcome, I'm well, all clear. I'm so thrilled to have you back on the show. I was tickled when Joe reached out to me. You could have reached out yourself. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I um, I was happy that you wanted me back on. So oh, my I God. Well, you know, every, all of our regular listeners and all of my readers over the past 30-plus years, they all know my great love of books and and reading. Reading is fundamental. I'm still of yeah. the old school. Reading is fundamental. And with a book like this, I miss my best friend. Not it may be a children's book, but this is something that everybody can relate to. And of course, the first thing I thought of is oh, this would make a wonderful animated short film. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> and That's a, um, you know, it's funny because someone just brought that up um, literally last week. Um, but I hadn't actually thought of that myself. So now you're the second person to say it. So now you're giving me ideas. This is the perfect kind of story to turn into a video, uh, into a short film. A short film. Mm-hmm. Okay. We so, might have to uh, get on this then. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think so. And, I mean, you might know a director who can help you with it. <laughs> I may, yeah, I may or may not know someone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we may or may not, as long as it's taking him to put together a sequel to The Jersey Devil. I, I, I don't know here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's lots in the works over there. So I'll tell you. And you're working on The Deplorables with Joe, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I am. There's a, there's a number of projects he has um, ready to go. It's just getting that investment piece together. You know, the, the hardest part, the final piece, well, um, to move forward. So. I know Joe comes up with the greatest ideas. Um, you know, those of you are regular listeners know you and Joe have been on the show before. Edwin Ortega, who also co-star Edwin's been on the show. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Mulkey has been on the show. Uh, all talking about the Jersey Devil, which is absolutely hilarious. And that I, I can't wait Thank to you. see the sequel to it. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And I know <laughs> Joe is also working on the web series, The Deplorables. Yes. Which um, yeah, we shot um, we shot a number of um, trailers for different episodes for that, and um, have those up online now. But um, you know, just need the final sponsorships to to sort of move it forward, um, so that we can at least 
put a pilot, maybe a few episodes up there. Mm-hmm. So things are in the works, but uh, always wait for Joe for the green light. Oh, I'll tell you. But, <laughs> but something that you went ahead while you're waiting for all these projects, because you're always busy. You do, yes. you do modeling. You do, I mean, that's your hand. You do hand modeling, too, with carpets or something. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do parts modeling. Um, yeah, mostly, I, I like this. Issues. Parts. Parts modeling. Yes. Body parts, parts modeling. modeling. Oh. Yes. Parts modeling. Um, a lot of shoes. Um, but do, do some hand stuff as well. So. Oh. Well, you know, and that's very specialized. It is. Yeah. Um, not everyone can get into it. I know with, um, for the shoes, for instance, the sample size is a six. Mm-hmm. So um, to be able to do the shows and stuff, the foot has to be certain measurements. So who knew? Who knew I'd ever get into such a thing, but here I am. Body parts. You're like a chop shop, on a walking chop shop. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, something that you have done, that, and hopefully the typing was not too strenuous on your hands. Oh, right. Um, was writing this, mm-hmm. I Miss My Best Friend. What was, you know, it's not like everybody sits down and thinks I'm going to write a children's book. I wrote one years ago. After uh, my black cat, Narcissa, she actually set her tail on fire and ran around the house, putting bla- burning black streaks in the carpet. Oh, um, wow. And it, a children's book called Narcissa Cooks the Kitchen. Uh, oh, my gosh. I have to look it up. I had no idea. <laughs> it's not online anymore. It's like it, was, it came out in print. Uh, okay. And not too many copies were, were printed. But I think somewhere I may even have a copy. I've thought about now doing a self-publication to reissue it. Uh, oh, that would be so cool, definitely. But I got, you just get these weird inspirations. When you open your front door and you see, here's the black cat and a tail is smoldering. Here's a dog running behind her. Here's the other cat running behind him. And then you see these burnt paper towels on top of the stove. Oh, she went up and pulled all the paper towels down into the pilot light. And oh, boy. <laughs> and she was a big, fluffy black cat. And they do tend to get into some mischief. They do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to see you turn to writing a children's book is your first endeavor. I was enchanted by the whole idea to begin with. But where did, what was, what was the genesis? What was the impetus for this mm-hmm. particular story? Well, that would be uh, actually the loss of my own dog, Cassius, who the book is actually about. Um, Cassius is the main character in the book. Um, I know you've read it, and he is on the cover, so others can see um, who he is. Um, he was actually a, a pit bull, and one of the the most loving dogs you'd, you'd ever come across. I mean, everyone that knew him said that uh, about him. And uh, I had him for actually almost 16 years. So it a, differs a little bit in the book, where in the book he actually lives to be 10. Mm-hmm. In real life, he lived to be almost 16, which is unusual for the breed. And um, when he passed away two years ago, uh, it was a very difficult time for me, and uh, I didn't take it well. And I started, maybe because I'm in the arts or I'm not sure what triggered it. I mean, I, I've always liked to write. I, um, I began writing some feelings down. I did um, sort of search for something, you know, that would help me get through this. Um, and I, I really couldn't find too much, and so I just started writing my own thoughts down. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not taking this well at all. It's the only dog I ever had. I had cats growing up, and I still have two, but I never had a dog. And the bond that you share with a dog mm-hmm. is, um, is very strong for any of the listeners out there who have dogs or who loved a dog and had that bond, that animal bond connection with the dog. Um, so I really, you know, I began to write my feelings down and memories about Cassius, and I thought, I wonder if I could make this into something. You know, it, it would be nice to be able to sort of develop something that would help children, since I didn't see a lot out there um, for families. So that's sort of where it all began. Wow. Well, you know, what I, and it's not that you're just writing this just to write it. But you are also, you hold a certification in canine fitness and conditioning? I do. <laughs> so you, I do. Uh, Very strange, I know. 
But, you know, and you've got your, your pet CPR and first aid. Yeah. Which... And human that I just got in May. My brother and I actually went together um, after uh, a, a bit of a difficult episode that we went through when we were out one day uh, together. And I said, you know what, we, couldn't, we should be able to spring into action and help someone. And we weren't able to because neither of us knew uh, CPR. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, hey, I have my animal first aid CPR. We're getting at the human one. So him and I went in May. Um, right here in New Jersey, and we actually uh, got certified, both of, both of us. Well, of course, so, I'm, I'm sure that you'd prefer to do the CPR on animals over people. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my certification never comes to use. <laughs> but, you know, I find this interesting that, you know, you're certified in canine fitness and conditioning as well. So you yes. really know what goes into the care of an animal and the process and the bond that is created on multiple levels. Absolutely. And um, it's interesting because the connection with that certification that I got with the canine conditioning is how I met the illustrator of this book. Um, so through our, there was a Facebook group that we had for the course. Mm-hmm. And through that group, um, the teacher actually has, Dr. Erica Bowling, she has several um, Facebook groups that she started for her different classes. Um, but I was scrolling through one day and, you know, I saw a sketch, a beautiful sketch, um, a woman by the name of Sophie Morricini drew. And I saw it on Facebook in the group and I thought, huh, I wonder if she illustrates, does she just do portraits or what does she, has she ever done a book? And so I reached out to her, and that's actually how I found my illustrator. Wow. Because of that course. Yeah. So small world. <laughs> well, I have to say the illustrations, mm-hmm. you know, they really harken back to the simplicity of, you know, Dick and Jane books. Yes. That were around when I was in school. There's nothing, I know which one. There's yep. nothing high tech. Nope. It's very, it's very simplistic, but it's vibrant. There's color. Uh, you. you make great use of color with all the different animals that you have because your 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 heroes in the book, Louie and Penny. Yes. I, I, I take it this is you and your brother. It is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except everyone keeps saying, "I didn't know you had a twin," and I say, "Well, he's a year older than me, but for the purpose of the book, I made him my he twin." He can be a twin, okay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But um, thank you for noticing that, though, because the illustrations I wanted to keep simple, but like you said, still colorful. I just didn't want it to be um, animated type drawing or right. cartoon type drawing. I didn't want that. I wanted it to be as realistic as possible because mm-hmm. I thought that was what was missing in the marketplace right now was something that was more real to life and, and that people would sort of connect with better. I mean, I think the illustrations are beautiful, especially when you get into, you know, all the different animals, because Louie and Penny love animals, not just dogs. They love animals. And we see so many different kinds of animals, jungle animals, pets, fish. You know, it's really so beautifully done that I can just that any any kid can pick up this book. Any child can pick up this book and they'll see an animal and identify with a picture. Thank you. Yes. That's what I'm hoping for. You know, and they could very easily just replace, you know, the adorable Cassius yes. with a fish. Right. And that's what, that's definitely um, a part of this that was really important to me, that my story that I chose was about my dog, but I want it to be interchangeable for any other animal or even... In some cases, um, people that I've spoken to have said it can relate to any loss, even um, a human in the family. Mm-hmm. So it's just a book about how we, um, how we deal with loss and, and overcome loss. And then you also give parents tips on yeah. how to help a child deal with grief. Now, where did you, you know, are those just from your own heart or experiences, or did you consult with any groups or professionals for that yeah, section? Yeah, both, actually. Um, so uh, the nonprofit organization that I teamed up with that I'm donating 10% of my books, each book sale back to, um, is actually New Jersey, um, St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center. Some people outside of the state 
um, I'm sure have heard of them as they, uh, they've really made national news recently because they were first on the, the lines over at the various tragic hurricanes that occurred over the last couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were there, you know, transporting uh, all, all types of animals from the shelters over to the northeast area mm-hmm. to adopt them out so that they could make room for uh, animals that belong to people. Over that were being there. rescued, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So um, they actually, they have a pet loss group uh, that they do twice a month there. Um, so I, I did consult uh, with them to see um, sort of what people needed. But also a lot of those tips were just from from me, from experiencing, from going through it and saying, hey, like, this is what helps me. And I've talked to a lot of people. I tried to research, you know, what what people were feeling after the loss of a pet. And, and I tried to compile everything and just bring it down to um, the 10 tips, which I include in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. You know, how long did it take you to put the book together? How many rewrites and, and drafts did you go through yeah. before even so. getting to the illustration pages and mm-hmm. and your tips for coping. Um, so people think that a children's book, um, well, it's only 32 pages, and it's, you know, a few lines on each page, and it's not that big of a deal. But I'll tell you something. As you know <laughs> from writing your own, um, it's not that easy no. at all. Um, it took me – the initial write was quick, but I had done – so many rewrites, honestly, up until the end. Um, I had people sort of viewing it um, right up until a couple weeks before we went to press. Mm -hmm. And um, I was still rewriting. So I I can't even tell you the countless amount of times I rewrote it and um, edited. And and that was before I even went to storyboard it. And, you know, I, um, storyboarding was a whole separate phase. So it was from beginning to end uh, where the concept came from and then till I actually got an independent publisher mm-hmm. to publish it until it actually went to print was um, over a year in the making. Wow. You know, now you talk about storyboarding. So did you do your own rough illustrations to begin with before so, Sophie came on board or was she storyboarding with you? Well... I actually wrote description. I, I, I did it through writing. So I would write descriptive. I can't draw for anything. I'm you know, there are these things called coloring books, and you can actually <laughs> go and cut out pictures. Yes. And that's put, a good. Yeah. yeah. That's, 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 a, that's, that's a what good I thought. did. That's actually, did that's actually what I did so I could perfect, you know, trying to get the illustrations for the animals, you know, correct. I actually got... That's interesting. I took... We should col- have talked earlier. I took coloring books, you know, the the juvenile ones that have the big dogs and the cats and, you know, the ones that little kids love that I still love now that we have, you know, watercolor pens and, you know, yeah. really cool, you know, colored pencils to color with. Uh, yeah, that's true. I'll admit it. <laughs> Coloring is a good thing to do at four o'clock in the morning when you, when you're brainstorming on something and you're stuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's what you, you should try. You should try that, or you take actual have, photos. Hopefully, for the next one, I for this one, I wrote out descriptions of what I wanted, mm-hmm. and I send her a lot of real life uh, photographs okay. of my family um, because I thought that would help her sort of capture. Uh, what we look like, who we were, and the, char- the characters, in essence. So mm-hmm. um, sh- we we spoke. She's in the U.K., actually. Wow. Yeah. So we had to do some Facebook and, um, you know, video sort of chatting. Um, thank God for technology. It's allowed us to um, just talk real time, and, mm-hmm. and it's not that big of a deal. But... But, yeah, she, she definitely added her own flair to certain things, and I described to her exactly what I wanted for each piece uh, for the storyboarding. But it was, it was a process because then she would send me, you know, sketches and then colorings, and uh, so that took several months as well. You know, how, uh, now how, how particular were you when it came to your color choices? 
she was actually, um, she sort of lent her creativity for the color choices. Um, I was particular with everything having to do with Cassius, just because because he's white. Yeah. Um, you know, the all-white body with just the brown patch. Mm-hmm. It was important to add some sort of coloring in the background. So if you'll see when he's at the vet's office, um, you'll notice there's a, a black lab in one of the photos. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot with the red, using a red ball or um, the blue bed, you know, just to try to offset the white. Cause mm-hmm. Dealing with an all-white dog was uh, challenging. Well, it's kind of, it's very similar to a filmmaker when they're dealing with snow. Exactly. You know, a cinematographer trying to light snow and lend snow. So that's, that's always a challenge, be it on paper, be it on film. White is always a challenge. Yeah, white is really tough. So it was important. But then also you'll notice that some of the pages where it's just him, uh, we kept it simple because... Mm-hmm. The idea there was that um, he was getting older um, and he was having some challenges, so that vibrancy sort of fades away Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the book. How cathartic was it for you writing this book? Oh, very. It was really, it was a huge part of my grieving process. Um, You know, even... From the, from the beginning to end, even now, even, you know, hearing people's reactions on the book and hearing uh, since then, of course, I've had um, friends who have lost animals and had to put an animal to sleep. And it's, it's always a very difficult um, sort of thing to do just because the animal is your best friend and, and, and they are a huge part of the family and, and people develop such strong bonds. And I noticed that a lot of times you know, people, and maybe people can relate to this, they'll acquire an animal at a very difficult time in their life. Mm-hmm. So they always have that connection with the animal, whether it's another death of a family member or a divorce or moving away, moving to a new town or, or whatever, some sort of big life event. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you have this bond and this connection, and then when the pet is gone, you feel an additional loss. Right. Um, so I think for me being able to tell my story and I'm hoping um, to be able to help other people um, get through their grief grief and, and um, the process of just losing an animal is, is really important to me. Mm-hmm. So where can everybody find this incredible book? I mean, the holidays yeah. are coming. People do need gifts. This is a perfect, perfect gift. Thank you. I hope it's a heartwarming story so people will... Um, be able and like I said not only for children but for adults as well Mm. Um, the book is on Amazon and also Barnes and Nobles online Uh, but the easiest way is if you go to my website which is PenelopeLagos.com all the links to um, the book and to all my social media are right on the homepage there so it's probably the easiest way to connect with me uh, you, I have to tell you, you mentioned your website. Your website is one of the most cogent websites out there. It's like you have you. <laughs> you have everything across the top. Hit this. We got about. We've got resume. We've got photos. Yep. We we yep. have work. We have author's notes. We so it's just it's very clean clean cut. Yes. Well, I did it myself, <laughs> so you won't find anything too fancy on there. <laughs> Um, so I'm not tech savvy. That's definitely not on my special skills. Um, you know, so I, it's very simple. I like easy to use, uh, user friendly, just being able to click and everything's right there for you. So everything's labeled my Facebook, um, Twitter, um, all the Amazon pages, everything's right up on the homepage. And of course, as you know, you know, once the today's show goes through video and all, you know, all of that will be up on everybody. They can watch the video and it'll all be typed out for them so they can see it in front of them, too. Uh, oh, perfect. As to where well, I'll to definitely go. I'll connect with the, I'll post that up once it's available as well. Yeah, it'll probably be a couple weeks uh, by the time I get it to North Carolina to my editor and she gets it done. But the audio of today's show will be up tonight on BehindTheLensOnline.net and on iTunes tomorrow and on IndiePopcorn.fm probably tomorrow or Wednesday. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, so everybody will be able to, to hear all about this book. And, and 
I mean, you, you just slipped it in there slightly, mentioning your next book. Ah, uh, the next book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no one knows about that yet, but I accidentally just said it. Um, yes, you did. I have ideas for another book. I have an idea, um, of course, still in the animal genre, um, but not, uh, not about loss. Uh, mm-hmm. This time I, I do have uh, two other topics in mind, so... Um, I'll probably get to work on that next year. And it'll be a children's book again? It will, yes. You know, I I think adoption would be a good one. Adoption is a great one. Um, you know, Adoption is a great one. Um, and actually that sort of pieces together with one of my ideas. Um, you know, adoption. It relates directly to it, so... You know, or even, you know, and kids that go through, like, picking a turtle in the, in the pet store or a goldfish. You know, yeah. th- these are very big decisions, and nobody writes about these tough ones. Yeah, no, it's you very know, true. Picking your little, your, your red-eared turtles in the pet store or your goldfish. <laughs> which, which one is going to be the family pet? <laughs> That's just it. You know, there's great debate about those things. I agree. You know, uh, and unfortunately, you need something needs to get wrapped in there about how you care for these animals. Oh well, that and that was a piece of it too. Um, just showing, hopefully, people will see in the book um, just how much responsibility and care goes into taking care of a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vacations. I know we we brought Cassius with us often. Um, if not, then just like a child, you have to have someone able to watch the pet, feed mm-hmm. the pet. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can't just fly by the seat of your pants no. when you have responsibilities. Yeah. No. Well, even for me now, with the three cats I have, with Yoda, K-Ron, and Clark, uh, K-Ron ha- suffers with restrictive cardiomyopathy, and oh. Yoda has cardio- a thyroid-caused cardiomyopathy and kidney disease, and they've got to have medicine at multiple medicine at specific times during the day so it's like i can't go any if i have to go somewhere Mm -hmm. i have to board them at the animal hospital itself you can't even take them because of the regimen and the and the signs you have to look for with their particular illnesses of course yeah that makes sense and that happens i mean you know with even when they're younger, I know that um, certain things pop up, and once, you know, you have to start giving medicine at certain times, and, um, you know, maybe it's difficult for people to travel with their animals, so you have to have someone that you trust to be able to, like you said, either board at the animal hospital mm-hmm. or, um, you know, another family member or neighbor that you trust to be able to come and, and take care of the uh, the animal. So it's it's not just uh, up and go. It's, no. it's like having a child. I yeah. always say that. Of course, you know, for many people, you know, that's why I have no children. I have them. <laughs> I have no children. Children I can give back. You know, I, I, when my, all of my nephews were, were little and I would visit them back east, I could give them back. Oh, yeah. It's like, I say that too. <laughs> yeah. You know, but what was interesting is I would be, I would leave, you know, years ago I had a dog and two cats and I would leave them. Of course, I had somebody who would actually feed them and and whatnot um but now with medical conditions with my three cats i have now who are all two of them are 17 and a quarter and yoda's 16 and a half um Mm. you know you've got with their conditions you have to count monitor their breathing and their respiration rates oh absolutely who's going to be bothered with counting respiration rates except a parent a pet parent except the parent yeah you got it you got it (laughs) you know so absolutely. So now, have you got have you gotten a new dog since Cassius? I have not. Just the cats. No, nope, I just have the two cats, and um, you know, I I tell people all the time. Well, first of all, the two cats will are not interested at all in having another dog in this house. Oh, of course um, not. They want no part of it. We've actually babysat um, some dogs since his passing um, for friends and. They were out of their skin about it. So um, I said, oh, well, first of all, the cats won't allow it. I mean, with Cassius, he was actually here first, Mm -hmm. and then they were introduced. So they loved him very much, and they bonded with him. But But now this is their territory. Yeah, nobody's coming in. Nobody's coming in. No. 
And I'm, you know, I'm super busy right now, and I, I say to, to take the time to properly train a puppy and bring a puppy here. Um, you have to be ready to do that, and um, I definitely don't have that in me right now. So yeah. we well, shall see what the future holds. <laughs> well, and sadly, we are all out of time today. Wow, that went quick. I know. This is horrible. <laughs> I'm so, so glad that Joe took the first step and emailed me and says, hey, you want Penelope to talk about her book? Since Penelope didn't bother to email me herself, even though I'm she sorry. has my Next email. Time I'm emailing you directly. <laughs> so, so we both owe Joe for this one. We do. So we owe him. This has been so much fun. I'm so thrilled to have you back on the show and to talk to you again. And Thank you so much. as I said, everybody, this book, it is a wonderful, wonderful book for children, for adults, and with the holidays, this is perfect. And they Thank can you. all go to PenelopeLagos.com and order it. Yes, I appreciate it. Oh, Penelope, thank you so much. And I know you will be back on the show again. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Debbie. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was the wonderful Penelope Lagos. Get the, I Miss My Best Friend. It is... It is really a heartwarming, wonderful book. So that's all the time we have. We're done for today. Next week, Steve Lee, sound guru Steve Lee, will be here talking about the Hollywood Sound Museum. Uh, He's going to be in studio with us for the hour, and he's going to be bringing along sound clips and all kinds of fun stuff that I know Pam is going to love and that Nick's going to love hearing too. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is... Behind the Lens.